welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Today in the lectionary gospel, we hear Jesus tell Nicodemus that one must be born of water and the Spirit, and that whoever believes in Jesus may have eternal life. Just after this passage is John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. A core message, some would say the core message of the gospel. So central that it's doubtful that unless someone's been living under a rock their entire life, that they do not know the reference, if not even the verse. And so it's hard to hear that without all the baggage that we attach to it. But let's hear it one more time and try to listen with fresh ears. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that verse, the English word for world, is the Greek word cosmos. That is the entire universe, everything that's created. Who created it? God. God loves everything he created. And don't forget that he didn't just create everything you see and experience every day, but even that which we so rarely access, that being the spiritual world of the bodiless powers of the angels and the evil spirits. Too often we're prone to make a distinction between the natural and the supernatural. But to the orthodox, there are really only two realities, the created and the uncreated. The only thing in that uncreated category is God. Everything else is created and quite natural. And so the cosmos contains the beautiful stars, mountain vistas, your friends and family. But it also has our enemies, the floods, the storms, the creation we broke by our sin and rejection of God. God loved them all, so much so that he gave his only son. And yes, Jesus came to save man, but he also came to save all of creation from corruption and death that our sin subjected it to. We hear this passage a lot, John 3.16, but this is also one of the most insane sounding statements you will ever hear. And somehow it's become trite by our constant exposure to it. God, the creator of the entire universe, high on his throne, with absolutely no need of us, completely ineffable, impenetrable in his nature beyond what he has revealed to us, despite all of our disobedience, despite all of our colossal rejection of him and his love throughout the ages to us, loves us so much that he's willing to give up his only son, his only son, to a shameful death so that we can share in his eternal life. What would you expect if you treated your enemies the way we treat God? I'm sure they would have murdered you off pretty quickly. What if you treated your spouse or friends that way? I don't think you'd be seeing them for very long. I certainly don't think you'd expect them to send their family into harm's way for you, especially their only heir. That's completely ridiculous by human standards. And yet it reveals something fundamental about God and how different he is, the uncreated, from all of us, the created, 
after the fall. And God does have expectations for us. As Jesus told us and Father Michael emphasized in his sermon last week, if we love Jesus, we must follow his commandments. Because to believe in Jesus, as we're told, we must believe in him, then we will not perish but have eternal life. To believe in Jesus is not just to say we do it. It's not to have a warm, fuzzy feeling about Jesus. Jesus tells him himself that these statements, although comforting, are too simplistic and should not be taken out of context as they too commonly are. Believing in Jesus isn't easy. As an expert in the Jewish law learned when he asked Jesus that same question that Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus about today. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer rightly answered when Jesus asked him to say what he thought. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. But then in asking who is his neighbor, he received the parable of the Good Samaritan, learning from that story that it's the character of one's actions and not their external appearances by which one is good, is a good neighbor. Or the rich young man who also was, who, or the rich young man who kept all the commandments. And Jesus didn't even deny that he did. But when he asked what he could do to be perfect, he went away in sorrow because Jesus asked him to sell his possessions and give to the poor and come and follow him. That's not easy. And just as in the case of our fellow man, love isn't just saying something, you have to do something. For Jesus, following his commandments is his love language. So why keep his commandments? Aren't we free? Why do we have to be good? After all, as Father Stephen Freeman famously says, Jesus did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. We are free, but if we choose that we want to be closer to God, then we have to be more God-like. And to do that, we have to follow his commandments. And Father Freeman isn't saying that living wouldn't involve being good, because living, really living, that is inheriting eternal life, requires our theosis, our becoming more godlike. And if we're going to be more godlike, then we will follow his commandments, not out of some moral duty, not because it's the right thing to do, but because we're becoming more like God. It isn't that we become good first so that we, become, so that we can get closer to God. If we try that, actually, we will fail. We do fail all so often when we try to be good, often falling into pride about how awesome we are, only to fall and fall hard. Instead, we have to first get close to God. Then the good will follow. And that is because for God, as opposed to our fallen nature, and the ways of acting in the commandments, the ways of acting embodied in the commandments and their ethos are natural to God. For God, it's easy to be good because that's just what he is. It's part of his very nature. God doesn't have to try to be good like we do. He is good with a capital G. And if you really believe in Jesus, really believe in God in your heart, then you will find life in Jesus. 
not just in eternity, but in the here and now. And in that life, you will be good because you will be Jesus to those around you. Jesus came to make dead men live, and living men are good men. As St. Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And yet this is a process, a difficult one for the majority of us who, like me, I presume, have not been struck down on a Damascus road. And so if you aren't feeling particularly alive or loving, don't fret too much. You are forgiven and God loves you. If your heart is truly embracing him, humbly accepting your failings, he will continue to transform you more and more into himself. As we begin each day at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross, we end each day one step closer to heaven. And as we've been discussing the last few weeks, Jesus knows this won't be easy. And he sends us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, the advocate, the paraclete, who helps us in our weakness, abides in us, seals us as God's children. So how can we get closer to God so we will show our love for him by following his commandments? Well, we have to be willing to give ourselves up. As I said the last few times, I've had the opportunity to talk to you, every bit of ourselves. Along the way, you will experience great pain, great division, and indeed, if you succeed, you will die to this world. When we do that, we will be chastised. Those around us will not like us. We will be hated just as our Lord was. But as St. Peter tells us in the related epistle for today, we must bear it patiently, as Christ did. When we are reviled, we shall not revile in return. When we suffer, we shall not threaten. Instead, we should continue to do, as St. Peter says, entrusting ourselves to him who just judges justly. What an upside-down story again. How counter to every story ever, ever told by men. To succeed, we have to completely fail in the eyes of all those around us. Who wrote that story? Well, as we discussed a few weeks ago, weeks ago, our Lord, who many people said was a demon, who was insane. Why even listen to him? And yet those words of that apparent madman, who I reminded you, opened the eyes of the blind, came down from his throne in heaven as a little baby who was raised by parents just like you and me, preached to those around him the greatest story of goodness, love, and unity the world will ever know, only to be murdered by the very people he came to save, only by that death, to overcome death with that goodness and love that he has. And as I've said also before, we're me included, we are all too afraid to completely embrace his words, somewhere in the back of our mind, thinking that he is still insane. And yet, when we're honest, we know that demons cannot do the things he did. And yet we're resisting, resistant to signing up for the life he led, too blind to recognize, to gain our lives, we must lose them. Stubborn, too stubborn, to submit ourselves to anyone's authority, even God's. And yet we realize again in those brief moments of true sanity that to surrender to him is to surrender ourselves to goodness and love itself. And therefore submitting ourselves to him is the very freedom that we seek. So how can we get closer to him? Well, one of the best ways to get close to somebody is to learn more about them. And he is so different from us. So how will we start to do that? Well, one of the best ways, of course, is to talk to him directly. He's always ready to hear our prayers. 
even though he may often do the darkness of our hearts seem distant to us. Prayer gives us an opportunity to talk to him, to learn more about how God acts. It gives us an opportunity to intercede for others, a way to practice what Jesus does before the throne of God, to practice God's very self-sacrificing love. Spend your prayers praying for others, not yourself. God knows what you need. Just trust him on that and thank him for what he has provided. So spend your prayers praying for other people, not for yourself. You can also study the lives of saints. They're human beings with failings just like you and me, but through them you see the light of Christ shining into the world. Learn from them. And the other thing you can do is learn more about what he's revealed about his nature to us. As you know, today is Trinity Sunday. One Sunday, we set about to specifically talk about the Trinity, who we praise and worship and talk about hopefully every day. God's nature is something we cannot ever hope to fully comprehend. But God has revealed much about himself to us through the Son, who is eternally begotten in homoousios with the Father. Homoousios is a word we translate in the Nicene Creed as being of one substance with the Father. And by that, we mean that Jesus is of the exact same nature and being of the Father with respect to his divinity. That is to say another way, that the Son is everything the Father is with respect to being God. We also believe that the Spirit is homoousios with the Father, and the Spirit and the Son likewise with each other. Yet in the mystery of the Trinity, the Son in a particular time and place, through another great mystery, combined his divine nature with our human nature in a way that he continued to be 100% God while also being 100% man, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. Through this mystery, the God-man Jesus became everything we are by nature so that we could become everything he is by grace. God loves us so much that he wants us to have access to his divine life. And we have that capability because of Jesus, because of Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' death, Jesus' ascension. Another thing that God has revealed to us about his Trinitarian nature that will help us be closer to him is the mystery of how the Son is eternally begotten of the Father and the Spirit is eternally proceeding from the Father. They both come from the Father, suggesting an order, a taxis within God. Yet there's no hierarchy, because it's also been revealed that they are co-equal. This is not fully comprehensible to our human minds, but our relationship with our fellow men should pattern the same. Each of us has our place. Some roles may seem more important or higher than others, and yet God teaches us that we all have equal dignity equal importance, even if we can't be the other. We each have our unique personhood, as do the persons of the Trinity. We each have our unique role to play in the story of salvation, just as each person of the Trinity does. And just as each person of the Trinity shares completely, wholly, in the perfect, equivalent divinity of God while remaining unique in their personhood, we each share equally in the imperfect humanity that unites us while we remain distinct, unique people. Our human nature also permits us to share equally in the restored, perfect human nature 
that Jesus calls us to. If as the persons of the Trinity relate perfectly to, if as the persons of the Trinity relate perfectly to each other in love and equity, we strive, despite our imperfection, to relate the same way to our neighbor, friend or foe, with dignity, love, compassion, and forgiveness. And when we do that, we cannot help but to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and therefore be closer to him who loved us so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.